the issue was is one, I have no experience in hosting. Two, I picked partners that had no experience either and I just paid them because they told me they could do it. And three, it wasn't my core focus. I was doing many other things. I was distracted. I wasn't focusing on it. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Neil Patel. Neil, are you ready to rock? I am. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. Well, for the audience out there who doesn't know Neil Patel, he is a New York Times bestselling author. The Wall Street Journal calls him a top influencer on the web. Forbes says he is one of the top 10 marketers and Entrepreneur Magazine says he created one of the 100 most brilliant companies. He was recognized as a top 100 entrepreneur under the age of 30 by President Obama and a top 100 entrepreneur under the age of 35 by the United Nations. Neil, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, so I got my start when I was a little kid, 16 years old, technically 15 and a half. I was trying to find a job. Couldn't find a job, so I went online, found monster.com. From there, I ended up being like, hey, these guys make a ton of money, even though I wasn't qualified for any of the jobs on Monster. But I was like, hey, these guys make a ton of money. Why not create a job website? If I can't find one, might as well create a job website, and maybe that'll solve my problem, and I can be rich like them. Created the job website. I didn't make any money. I realized that if no one comes to your website, you're not going to make money. So I had to learn this little thing called marketing, got my career started in marketing, had an ad agency and kept, you know, growing, helping out other companies, eventually created some of my own software companies. Fast forward to today, I have an ad agency called Neil Patel Digital, where we help companies grow. I blog at neilpatel.com and yeah, you know, I just focus on entrepreneurship and marketing. Fantastic. Well, and you know, you're, you've come out with some great products. And I think one of the things that I appreciate about what you do is you give away so much free value. And right now I'm, for instance, looking at Uber suggest and other tools that you have put out there that are just fantastic. And I look at them, you know, every day. So that's a great example of this concept of give, give, give. So I appreciate that. One other thing I just wanted to ask you, since I teach at the Masters in Marketing at Thomasat University here in Thailand, we have a lot of marketing students that really want to learn who are either grads and alumni, but also that are in the program right now. And I'm sure that they would have lots of questions to ask you. But I would say, if you're talking to, to a young person who's coming into the space of marketing, not even necessarily digital, you know, but it can be, but just the space of marketing, what advice would you give them, a young person you know, that's 25, 30 or so that really wants to build success in marketing? What, what piece of advice would you give them? Have the mindset of testing. See, what works in the now may not work in the future. A great example of this is when you go to a lot of websites, you know how they have sign in with Google or log in through Google. Well, back in the day when we had that and that was the only option, our conversions and sales went through the roof. Now, over time, what ended up happening was people were worried about security issues and hacking and all that. And people were like, whoa, 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 I don't want to sign in with Google. I don't want to give you all my information. Now, and when we gave people other options, sign in with Google, sign in with Facebook, or you know, just register with your name, email, password, 
we actually started getting more sales. But when we tried doing that years ago and giving people all those options, we actually got less sales. We made more when we forced them through sign in through Google. Mm. So the point I'm trying to make is you got to have that testing mindset. What works today may not work a few years from now. And it's actually speeding up faster in which what works today may not work a year from now. See, if you look at Google alone, they do over 3,000 algorithm changes per year. And that's a huge number. So with Google, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and all these platforms coming out and they're changing so fast, you got to have the experimentation testing mindset. And if you don't, you're not going to thrive and succeed. And it just is, as a follow-up, it's just interesting because I would say majority of people probably don't have that testing mindset. What do you think is holding people back? Is it just that it's a lot of work? I mean, sometimes when I look at just looking at all those different platforms, for instance, that you just mentioned, and sometimes it's overwhelming. It's hard enough just to create one thing. What do you think is the biggest block to people of why they don't have that testing mindset? Yeah, so one is definitely a lot of work. That's probably actually the biggest one from what we've seen. But the second one is people don't like the concept of I got to try, try, try. And in most cases, that means fail, fail, fail. And eventually, there'll be light at the end of the tunnel and I'll succeed. In essence, you're playing the numbers game. People more so want, well, give me the silver bullet. Tell me what I need to do that's going to work right now. And that's not the reality of it. If that was that easy, everyone would be entrepreneurs and marketers making a killing. But we all know that's not the reality. And it takes a lot of hard work and grind and testing and experimentation until you land on the formula that works. And typically when you get something right and it does work and you got an amazing experiment, it's still not a silver bullet. What you'll find is you need to find a lot of little things done right to really add up and make money. You know, I, I literally actually teared up for a second as you were talking because it just, I think of all the people, including myself, that get really frustrated, disappointed, they're trying, they're seeing that it actually is taking a lot more than they thought. It's a struggle. But what you're saying is inspiring to tell us that there is ultimately light at the end of the tunnel. And if we develop that mindset, you know, we can get there. So I appreciate that. And I, I just, I have to ask one more question in relation to that. So, okay, someone listening to this podcast says to themselves, all right, Neil, you've inspired me. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep failing and keep testing in a smart way. But when I look at the field of marketing, it's just so overwhelming of a podcast or a blog or a video or YouTube or this and that. What, what advice would you, help, would you give to someone starting off to, to help them to narrow their focus? Yeah, so look, there's many things that you can end up doing. It can become overwhelming. But here's the thing that I always tell people. Typically, you're going to do the best at something that you tend to be naturally good at or that you enjoy. So try a lot of different tactics out. Try a lot of different channels out. And you'll quickly learn what you like. And typically what you like is usually what you're better at or what you're good at. That's what you want to double down because that's usually what's going to produce the best results. Now, a good example of this, if you look at Gary Vaynerchuk, does a ton of videos, loves it. People follow him around will record, does extremely well, fits his personality type. I tend to do more text-based content. I like text-based content better. I get a lot of traffic through it. And it's also because I naturally gravitate towards that because I'm naturally better at that than I am, let's say, creating video-based content. Mm. 
it reminds me of, I went on a holiday with a good friend of mine here in Thailand, and he's written many, many books in Thailand, uh, a guy named Andrew Biggs. And we went on holiday once to a resort to do like a, a detox, which was a crazy experience already. But one day I w walked in, you know, I knocked on his door in the morning and he said, come on in. And he was on the, on his bed. And just before I mentioned that, you know, I've written, let's say four books and they're on Amazon. They're not large books, but you know, they take, take what I've learned in certain areas and put it together. He's written many, many more. And when I went into his room, I said, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm just, you know, writing my journal and, you know, writing. How long have you been here? He says, I've been here like, you know, an hour writing. And I just realized at that moment that he's a writer and I'm an author. And what I mean by that is that he really enjoys the process of writing. I, I don't. I actually enjoy the idea of kind of bringing it together into a book, but it wasn't a pleasurable experience. <laughs> and so in that case, I think, and I look at people that are like doing blogs, and I'm thinking, God, I got to write these long form blogs. And then I realize it's not what I like. So I've got to do more of what I like is what I'm hearing from you. Like podcasts and videos and things like that. Would that be, would that make sense? Definitely would. Yeah. And, and that's the route and that's what fits well with you. And while your friend, it's a little bit different, right? Yep. You got to figure out what jives with you, your personality type, your natural skills, and then go from there. And most people won't know what works for them. And that's why you have to just try a few different or a handful of things out and then go from there. It's like throwing spaghetti against the wall. When it sticks, you know, it's good. And you'll try a handful of different things. Most won't stick, but the one that does, that's what you double down on. Keep that recipe. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever, ever, ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. So years and years and years ago, 10 plus years ago, I was getting traffic to my website and I realized, you know, sometimes I'd get a flood of traffic from the social web and keep in mind the social web wasn't popular at this time and it would cause my servers to go down. So I'd have to pay for more and more servers. But then when I pay for more servers, in most cases I would never use the extra resources. So I was like, you know what? It would be really good if you can pay for the resources when you need them and don't pay for them when you don't. And I'm like, I'm paying for all these resources and I'm not using most of them most of the time. How many other people are like that, like me? What if we can combine all our servers together and have one big infrastructure and we can each scale up and down as we wanted to? So I had this concept years and years ago called vision web hosting. This was before companies like AWS were even started, right? AWS is Amazon Web Services or cloud computing or cloud hosting, whatever you want to end up calling it. Now, the reason it was a terrible investment for me was the concept in theory, if you think about it, you know, AWS, there's the cloud category itself is a multi-billion dollar industry. Maybe one day it'll be even a trillion dollar industry. But the issue was, is one, I have no experience in hosting. Two, I picked partners that had no experience either. And I just paid them because they told me they could do it. And three, it wasn't my core focus. I was doing many other things. I was distracted. I wasn't focusing on it. So when you think about all those things, I ended up creating a business that really wasn't generating any revenue. I couldn't even launch it. My partners couldn't figure out how to execute. I wasted literally over a million dollars on it over two, three years, eventually folded it and had to repay all the debt that I borrowed because technically the million dollars was borrowed money. 
So it was a painful experience, but I learned a few things from that, which is one, ideas are a dime a dozen. Hmm. It's about executing and picking the right ones. Two, I learned that your business partners are really important. You ideally want to work with people who have done it before. If it's a new concept, done similar businesses before, so that other way they come with learnings versus starting from scratch and have to learn on the job. The third thing that I learned was if you're going to do something, you want a minimal viable product and get it out there. You're never going to have a perfect product. It's never going to be amazing. Just get something out there and try to improve it over time. Mm. Those are some of the lessons I learned. And at what point did you kind of realize that you were in over your head or you had to end this thing? When I was a million dollars in debt, (laughs) I was a little bit too late. My parents were telling me way before that, but it took me too long. And why did it take you too long to get to that understanding? Were you overly positive? You weren't willing to look at the negative or what what was it? Uh, Naive, stubborn, inexperienced. There's a lot of them, but I would say the biggest thing is I genuinely believe like a lot of entrepreneurs that know my thing is the best thing. It's the next, it's the next best thing since sliced bread and I'm going to make it work. A lot of entrepreneurs mm. have the attitude that they won't fail and they just got to keep pushing. It doesn't matter what people say. And I, I learned from that experience that yes, as entrepreneurs, you need to have that God complex as they call it, right? In which you think you can make things happen, but you still need to listen to what others are saying. You may not have to take action on what they're saying, but you should keep you know, your eyes and ears open and really pay attention to what others are saying and have that feedback. And when you talked at the beginning of this whole podcast, you talked about the idea of testing. Is testing and failing, but testing in a small scale, is that a way to try to overcome that, you know, that overconfidence bias that, you know, hey, this is great, we're gonna make it, you know, keep piling money. It is because testing will give you feedback really quickly of if something's working or not. So that way you don't waste too much money and more importantly, time. See, money you can end up raising. And yes, you can end up losing it too, but you can make back money. You can't make back time. Yeah. Well, let me summarize what I take away from that. And uh, I mean, the, the first thing is that there's also a time when you're, when you're competing, when you're, you're coming up with a business idea and it's great to have big ideas, but eventually you're going to go out to the global market with a big idea. And whether that's competing against AWS or whatever, it's like there's a time that you got to flip the switch and say, okay, we need to raise 10 million bucks now to get to the next stage or 5 million bucks or 3 million bucks or whatever that number is. And that's a real scary point. And I, my own worst investment ever was in a startup where we were doing something, you know, a, a little bit like Udemy, trying to come up with a platform, but with, with something slightly different to it. And as we got deeper into it, I just realized at one point that we are not ready to go into the big leagues and I'm not prepared to go out and raise that, you know, 3 million, 5 million bucks that takes to get there because of the lack of confidence of what I've seen in the operation. And then that was the point where I had to pull the plug. So I definitely know, you know, some of that feeling that you've talked about. The other thing that I think about when I listen to your story is what I always say is there's four main things that I look for as, as an investor in a startup company. And that is the first one is trust. And the question is, do you trust the people that you're working with, that you're investing in? If you don't trust them, and, and usually there's no short, there's no hack to trust. Trust comes over time. But if you trust them, then you go to the next step and you say, okay, I trust this guy. Okay. Now the next question is what is her idea? 
if the idea is good, okay, if I trust you and the idea is good, go to the next step. And then it comes to the question of execution. Can this person and this team execute on this idea? And if the answer is no, it doesn't matter that the idea is great. It doesn't matter that you trust the person. This was the situation that I came. I just realized we just didn't have the management team in place to execute that. And that follows to the final one, which is money. It's nice, of course, to feel like, hey, I, I invest in this startup and all that. But ultimately, you never want to be the only provider of money to any startup that you're involved in. You want to be able to say, are we able to access that you know, money out there to expand it? So trust, idea, execution, and money is my, you know, my thinking about it. And you just remind me the importance in this story about execution. Anything you'd add to that? No, you got it right. <laughs> All right. So based on what you learned from that story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Experiment, experiment, experiment. Don't wait. Don't say, oh, I got to learn more. I'm going to, you know, I'll do it next week. Just go experiment and do it as quick as possible and learn from your mistakes. The learn from your mistakes are a very important part because you don't have to be the smartest person to succeed. If you make a lot of mistakes, but you avoid making the same ones over and over again, eventually the right ones will be the only ones that are left, right? It's the stuff <laughs> that you should be doing. The three E's, experiment, experiment, experiment. Yeah. Great. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Number one goal for the next 12 months is to double up on my traffic. I don't know if I'll be able to do it, but I'm going to try. Well, for those listening out there, what in traffic terms, what does that mean? Another 10 million visitors a month. <laughs> That's amazing. Do you think you can get there? I don't know. 50-50 shot, if I had to guess. But it's a big keep the big goals. All right. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Neil, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones. And I say that because most people say no when I ask them to come on the show. Because they say, I don't want to talk about my losers. I want to talk about my winners. But you have now turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? You know, if you're going to take one thing away from this, the three E's, as you mentioned, but also it's very, very important to really think about every mistake that you've made in business and what you're trying to achieve in life. Write it down and avoid making that same one over and over again. Amen. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.